internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be discussing the follow-up to 2014's Legendary Pictures version of Godzilla, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, as well as the latest musical biopic, uh, Rocket Man, about Elton John, and then the uh, latest Blumhouse horror movie, this time starring Octavia Spencer. It's Ma. Well, let's get started. Run. Godzilla's world. We just live in it. Damn right. So I think it's safe to say that as a Godzilla fan, and uh, if you've been catching, following me on Stardust, you'll have seen that I managed to continue and complete the full-on Hail to the King marathon I did. I had planned just in a truncated form. Uh... And there's definitely not enough time to do it, to prepare it for Kong, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. So I think I'll have to wait till Toho decides to do their next one in 2021 before I try to do a full, full on marathon like that again and do it as a full, full length series. Um, but, uh, that said, uh, having gone through all of the Godzilla movies to date, and uh, even the uh, some of the TV series as well. Uh, this is still this is currently my favorite. I think this is a vast improvement over the first one, and it's clearly made by somebody you know by a group by people who understand the character, understand what fans like about the character, and give the fans exactly what they want. This is a crowd pleaser movie. And the, the fact that I'm seeing so many critics lambast it, and initially it was like the initial Godzilla had, didn't have enough of the monsters, and now this one's dedicated to the monsters fighting each other, and then it's like, ooh, the human characters. And it's like, what did you want? Did you really want a Godzilla movie? What is your idea of a good Godzilla movie, if I might ask? Because this is exactly what I want. I got what I wanted. I don't know what the critics want from this what their idea of the perfect Godzilla movie is. But personally, this is what I want. This is exactly what I wanted. Um, the monster, the more of the monster ideas of the fact that they're titans of old, that back when the world w was younger, they managed to have these alpha class uh, creatures that only die down because of like you know the changing climate and the lack of radioactivity to feed on and whatnot and it's only now since human intervention has come in that they have started to re to rise again and that was touched on in the first movie it was built on more in this one and in and it kind of builds up Monarch as this secret government organization that's been studying these monsters. And the U.S. military wants to destroy them. And now you've got these eco-terrorists who want the monsters to destroy humanity. And, and it's this interesting thing where Monarch's caught in the middle. They don't want to destroy them, but they understand their place in the world uh, compared to the monsters. And they realize that destroying them would do, do humanity no good, especially since they can't even determine how to destroy them uh i will say um the redesigns are solid uh rodan looks great mothra looks great i love 
Mothra in this one. She's she's super buggy, but she's still like really beautiful looking. And um, you know, Godzilla is a bit more streamed to streamlined and a little more, you know, not as chunky as he was in, in 2014. Now he's much more like mobile and you know, it's like he lost a couple of pounds uh between movies. Uh Ghidorah looks amazing. Uh there are a couple, those are the only real Toho monsters of note. The other ones that they showcase are brand new, uh, all creations by Legendary Pictures. No names really given to them. The only named ones are from Toho. Uh, but, the, but, the new mon- but the monster designs are pretty, are pretty solid. Um, the premise here being, like they mentioned in the trailers, that... Uh, Ghidorah and Godzilla are both alphas, even though technically the alphas as a thing aren't real in the wild. Like, the, even the guy who coined the term for alphas uh, went back and retracted it because he realized his research was wrong and his observations were incorrect. And, and so it really only perpetuates, and I think it works better here because these are entirely new creatures, so you could have an alpha structure like you do with, say, insects, where there's one head monster. Um, and so you have two two big ones that that garner attention uh those being Ghidorah and Godzilla and so hence Godzilla is literally the king of the monsters and it's between and so the eco-terrorists kind of utilize monarch's knowledge of the where they're located to try and bring about humanity's end by reawakening the titans and it's up and Monarch, uh, led by Dr. Serizawa, Ken Watanabe from the last movie, is hoping that by using Godzilla as as an alternative alpha, they can stop Ghidorah, who essentially brings about like at, you know full on apocalyptic level destruction. Uh, whereas Godzilla never allowed for that to happen, and so Monarch's caught between the U.S. military trying to destroy the monsters. And these eco-terrorists trying to destroy humanity, and um, Monarch is trying to hopefully get uh, have a balance. And I I dig it. I like um, I like what we've got so far. Uh, the human the human stuff is the weakest element, but that was always true of Godzilla. Even in the initial first Godzilla, there was a thrown-in love triangle that went really that didn't really go anywhere, and it was a complete waste of everyone's time. And the only real human element that worked was the part that tied into the um, atomic uh, attacks by the U.S. on and their impact on the Japanese public. That was really the only kind of noteworthy storyline for humans in these movies. It's just it's always been about the monsters more than anything, and uh, I get. I guess I could say that the only thing missing that I would have added is a reference to uh, the Shobjin, the uh, little fairies that serve Mothra. I feel like like having some thrown in, thrown away reference, like they used to believe um, that, that, that two fairies served at the harbingers of Mothra as a god, and, you know, like something like that, like some legend tied into the myth of Mothra. Maybe they're saving that for an actual Mothra spinoff movie? Who knows? We'll see. I know they're they're still work, they're already working on more plans for these legendary monsterverse after Kong because I mean this was already successful worldwide mostly through Asia America didn't really break any numbers um, for this one but I'll get into that in the box office report 
But yeah, I think a reference to the Shobjin uh, would have been nice, but everything else, like they brought back the original themes by Kira Ifakube and then um, the Mothra theme by somebody else, I forget his name. Um, they brought those back and Bear McCready, uh, I know this because I downloaded the entire soundtrack because it's so wonderful in the way it recreates these classic themes and gives them brand new life. And it's just a wonderful, amazing score. I haven't been this uh, enraptured by a movie score since 2013's uh, Pacific Rim. It just really knew exactly how to utilize the classic scores and give them this whole new like depth that they didn't have before. Built on what was there before and gave it, gave us something entirely new and brilliant. Um, the actors are great, though. Um, Kyle Chandler play has the most art character arc. Um, his his uh, character start it was very anti monster because of because he has a tie to the original Godzilla's attack in uh, San Francisco, and it's over the course of the movie and interacting with Monarch that he kind of starts to understand Doctor Sarazawa's point of view and kind of accept that you know he was just upset that he lost you know that he lost somebody he loved and that it's not the monster's fault and they all need to be destroyed. It's that there's other things going on here and destroying them wouldn't do any good. And it's kind of that understanding that point of view versus the eco-terrorists who want to destroy humanity and realizing that, you know, destroying the monsters isn't going to solve anything. And that's kind of, he has the biggest character arc in it. And uh, I think between this and uh, the Conjuring series, Vera Farmiga is a terrible, is a terrible mother and should not be trusted with children. But that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown is solid. I still need to see Stranger Things. I think when, um, when things kind of calm down in my personal life and I have more free time, I'll start doing that. Uh, I do need to catch up on a whole bunch of stuff streaming-wise. I want to catch up on and bring back Netflix and chat. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, but, um... Yeah, Ken Watanabe is great. Uh, Thomas Middleditch is solid. Uh, he's not as cloying as his, those kind of character, those kind of nerdy characters tend to be. Um, we had a guest appearance by CCH Pounder of all people. Uh, glad to see her still getting work. You know, I kind of hope she comes back as more in more of that same role. Um, we also have a wonderful man that he is, Bradley Whitmore, as sort of the snarky high level scientist there. Um, he's the one who's kind of like the, you know, he's, he's the, he's the one in the trailer who's like, my God, Zilla. you know, he's the, he's the nerd, he's the cooler nerd. He's not as uptight as Middle Ditch is, but he's definitely a dork. And he's always, you know, he's the one always coming back with a, uh, snappy retort. And, uh, he has most of his interactions with, uh, Zi Zhang, uh, the Chinese actress, uh, who plays, um, one of the researchers there, and she kind of is along for the ride as well. And she is, they have some great, uh, just, you know, repartee back and forth. Uh, she's able to keep up with it, his snappy re remarks, just like, you know, like, bat, 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 bat. And then they have some really honest character bat building as well. It's just, it's a, I, I like the characters in this. I would absolutely, more so than the 1998 Godzilla, this one I could see a series with. Having a series with Bradley Whitmore's character and Ch Kyle Chandler's and Zi Zhang and then CCH Pounder's kind of like the one who's always on their tail like the um, like the uh, colonel in the Godzilla 98 Godzilla series. 
Uh, yeah, I think this deserves its own, like, Netflix series or Hulu series or Amazon series, wherever they want to sell it to. I would absolutely watch a, you know, a weekly series or, like, a binge, binge a series of the Godzilla, of the team from Monarch, and just call it Monarch. You know, it don't need to be live action. I think having it animated would make it better because it doesn't have to rely on live action budgets. If they, if they, if it works better live action and they can afford to do it in live action, I'm just saying a Monarch series would be great and watching them kind of chronicle, chronicle the monsters and try to, you know, how they interact with humanity and trying to form that peaceful coexistence uh, while everything else is going on. I think that would be a solid um, setup for his prem and premise for a, a series. But yeah, um, overall King of the Monsters quickly became my favorite Godzilla movie and it gave me everything I could have wanted from it and more that I didn't even expect from it. Uh, it was, it, number one, I could see the monster fights. Even in the dark and the rain, you could still make out the monsters fighting, which is a vast improvement over the first movie. And yeah, I, I, it, as a Godzilla fan, this is what I want. Hollywood level effects giving, telling the same story. You know, it's not like high class art or anything like that, but it's, it's exactly what a Godzilla fan like me could have wanted. And now I'm very interested to see how they follow this up next year with Godzilla versus Kong. How much pressure I'm under? Not really. I'll still be collecting my 20% long after you've killed yourself. Maybe I should have tried to be more ordinary. You were never ordinary. So this is the second, um, the first official, but the second musical biopic directed by Dexter Fletcher. Uh, the first one being Bohemian Rhapsody. He took over from Brian Singer, but didn't get the credit. This is his first full uh, credited director, directing of a bi musical biopic. And, and when, when you learn that, it starts to make sense. Because a lot of the problems from Bohemian Rhapsody are here as well. There's a disjointed timeline. They take advantage. Uh, there's this weird shared taken advantage by gay lover slash manager. And it's very odd. It's, it's this, the similarities are very eerie. And it, and when you learn that it's the same director, you're like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Um, so yeah, we're talking the, uh, Elton John bio musical biopic rocket man, which I, which honestly is more like if they took a Broadway jukebox musical that was inspired by his life story and adapted it to film. That's kind of what it feels like. I feel like this would work better for the stage than for the than for the theater than for the movie screen. Uh, but yeah, it's. I think what helps this versus uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was this was marketed as this musical fantasy and it's a jukebox musical movie. Whereas Bohemian Rhapsody was sold to us as the definitive true story of Queen and, more specifically, Freddie Mercury. And I think they knew better than to try that again because even though Bohemian Rhapsody made buku bucks, that's, they're defi they, you definitely get points knocked off 
for trying to sell yourself as the true story when you're deviating so far from the truth. And I think selling it as, no, this isn't the true story. This isn't like, you know, his life story. This is a, a pastiche, an artistic interpretation of actual events in his life as they, as they feature in his music. Unfortunately, the, the thing about Elton John is he is not a writer. He's a musician. He's not a he's on he's never the lyricist. That's that was his longtime collaborator, um, Bernie Bernie. I want to say I know it's Bernie, but hold on. Let me. Uh, what is his name? Um, played by Jamie Bell in the movie. Uh, Bernie Taupin. Uh, yeah, he's the longtime collaborator with Elton John, uh, and. When they try to incorporate, like, oh, that's where this song came from. That's where this song came from. Oh, that's where, that's the surface. But that works when the you're talking about a songwriter. Elton John is a musician. He's not the songwriter. Bernie Taupin is a songwriter. So the how, how they try to put in these, like, the, oh, here's where the inspiration for this song came from. Like, your, not your song specifically, but, like, they tried to make... The, the the songs of Elton John fit to his life story, but none of the songs are about his own personal life unless Bernie says otherwise that he was inspired by something with John. But they apparently hardly ever sat in the same room unless they were sharing, the like Bernie was passing off the songs to Elton and Elton was sharing the tunes with Bernie. They didn't work in the same, they didn't even work together. They were they worked separately and then collaborated and shared like okay here's what I got here's what I got okay I'll put this together and then they made that's how they made their songs. So none like this none of these Elton John songs are that personal I don't think they really aren't. They Elton was the musician and Bernie was the lyricist. They didn't they Elton never really wrote his own music as for like the lyrics or anything like that. Um so yeah, that's weird stuff like that, uh, but that's all tied into the whole issue with musical biopics as well as jukebox musicals. That's the big problem with jukebox musicals is that they try to add new meaning to these pre-existing songs and it always kind of, like that was the thing, I came up with, I, I'm fully yo, willing to admit that I came up with four jukebox musicals in high school that never went anywhere. One was for the Eagles, one was for David Bowie. One was for Weird Al, and one was for um, uh, Jimmy Buffett. And they could have easily worked just as well as any of the other jukebox musicals. I think they actually did. Uh, the, Jimmy Buffett finally did a Broadway musical using his music. Uh, I have no idea how that worked out, but yeah, the idea that that, but that I think what what kind of turned me off is it's just just the. The notion of using pre-existing songs and trying to attach a new meaning to them seemed very... Like, there's good good versions of that add some real creativity. Take some real creativity, you know? And otherwise, it just feels so cheap. And like, oh, we're just... You, we just have access to these songs and we need to come up with something. And... That, and and yeah, that's definitely true of Rocket Man as well. The idea that we just have to get, you know, we're, we're trying to incorporate these lives into the context of Elton John's life story. And so, yeah, it's, 
But I think what helps is that it is disjointed from reality. Uh, it doesn't follow the timeline, just like Bohemian Rhapsody didn't really follow the timeline. But this is also much more, of a, once again, a pastiche. This is an impression, impressionist take of uh, his life story through the lens of this creative musical energy, rather than a full-on presentation of the man's life, you know, life story from beginning to now. Uh, I think that's the problem with biopics is that they straddle the line between artistic impression and um, presentation of fact way too closely. And, uh, you know, it's very precarious. And I think this one manages to stick it much better, although much it leans much closer to artistic take rather than, you know, presentation of facts. But, you know, it's not like they're lying either for, for chunks of it like they did with Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, this one didn't really lie so much, uh, from what I could tell. That said, also, uh, I think what makes this worth seeing is Taron Egerton is just a... I had no idea how talented he was. He is dynamite as Elton John. He nails the performance perfectly. And then, I didn't really recognize... You know, there's Jamie Bell here as well as Bernie Taupin. And there's a weird bit where, um, uh, like Bernie says, Oh, I can't sing. And then... Then he actually had they have Jamie Bell sing one of Elton's songs as a in a bit, and it's like he can sing just fine. So yeah, it contradicts itself by trying to make it a musical and give everybody a shot at singing. But uh, yeah, uh, the the only other name you might recognize in here is Bryce Dallas Howard, and you won't even recognize who she's playing because she's playing his mom. And I couldn't tell you that was Bryce Dallas Howard from looking at her. I did not recognize her at all. She nails the accent. She's a, a wonderful musician and singer. You know, like she's a great singer. I had no idea she could sing that well. And, you know, she plays the role so perfectly. I had no idea how talented Bryce Dallas Howard was. And I'm very curious to see if she can do, do another movie musical and what she would play because, yeah, she's capable of it for sure. Uh, but overall, Rocket Man. It's not my unpopped kernel of the week because I it, I save those for movies I don't recommend, uh, but it's but I definitely didn't feel as passionate about this as I do about Ma or King of the Monsters. It's the one I, the one I came out feeling the most meh about, but I don't think that's worthy of declaring it an unpopped kernel. I would say that overall, it just feels like they're Hollywood trying to adapt a Broadway musical. And missing some of the thing magic and translation, and then also suffering from a lot of the same trappings as biopics and sp specifically musical musician biopics. And it's not bad. I'm not saying it's bad, but it definitely didn't hit as hard with me as the other movies this week. I want you to meet someone. Nice to meet you, Maggie. We went to high school together. Why is my son? He smelled just like your daddy. Spending time at your house. Hey guys, that bitch is crazy. Probably something wrong with me. How does it feel to be on the outside looking in? Let's get this party turned up. So the smallest release this weekend was from Blumhouse, Natch. Uh, they're very small budget, very slight release. You know, you know they release 
wide, but they don't really put a lot of emphasis on like on marketing and whatnot. It's just, hey, we got something new coming out. Check it out, folks. And they market specifically to the horror crowds. And what we got was the Tate Taylor, the director of The Help, uh, is directing a horror revenge thriller about kind of dealing with the fact dealing with cross-generational sort of revenge and Octavia Spencer is this really creepy and offsetting character who becomes the cool adult who lets the kids party and have fun and has her house available to kids and as time as the movie goes on you begin to learn just what's really going on with this woman and what she's really doing and it's really unsettling and uh i will say that it hints at some more interesting ideas but never really goes there like tate taylor when asked about the sort of racial thing that maybe what it that you know was the was the story behind octavia spencer race related he's like uh, he never even considered it and i think that's the problem is that tate taylor who is a white guy i feel like he's one of those guys who doesn't see color and mainly cast octavia spencer because he liked working with her in the help and never really even considered and like neither did the screenwriter either who was a different person uh neither of them really considered the racial implications of what was going on of why octavia spencer was looking for revenge or anything like that it's never even never even brought up in the movie and it, it that's a nice sort of like glossing over of you know race relations like oh it wasn't race related was it? Wasn't it? I'm sh are you sure it's not? Because it kind of feels like it still is. It just never mentioned. But yeah, um, that's the problem when you've got these people who want to avoid discussing race, but then also want to include these things that are very, that, you know, that can't help but be race related, you know? Uh, so yeah, that's just more of like contextual issues with the movie, you know, in terms of seeing it and you know, applying real-life context to it. Uh, as a movie, it's it's solid. It's a really creepy, unsettling movie, and it uses, a, you know, it has good use of gore, especially towards the end. Octavia Spencer is just continually upsetting. Like, just like, no, no, please no, please stop, no, please. And it's never, and it's all in words and actions. It's never in, like, it's never in, like, you know, oh, I'm trying to, like, how do I want to say this? It's just, it's just like, she, the way she acts, you just, you just know something's up. And it takes, and it takes forever for every, but because it's all happening when nobody else is really looking, nobody else catches on, and we're the only ones who have to sit there and watch what's happening. And it's just like, so yeah, it's perfectly unsettling. It's great horror in that sense. Um, the adults are really solid too. Uh, Luke Evans, uh, Missy Pyle, and Juliet Lewis play, were, uh, we're all friends with Octavia Spencer back when they were kids in high school, and they all play solidly together. Octavia Spencer, though, is the reason to see this movie. This is the reason she's the star and the center point of the marketing, because she go, can go from party girl to just, like, maniac in a, in a heartbeat, in a one she's great at facial expressions and she's able to change from happy and smiling to just dead serious in a second and she's great the teens are solid as well they're mostly from tv a couple one of them was um 
made out with the main character in Booksmart. Uh, she's Hope. She played Hope in Booksmart. So I just saw her recently, and now she's like the lead girl in in a teen horror movie. And yeah, it's it's kind of a lame ending. I'll say that. I won't give away what happens, but I feel like it, it didn't land as well as it could have. But yeah, it's it once again Blumhouse. When they get the right people, when they pay the right people to make a movie, can make some of the best horror in the you know today. You know when it's guys like Jordan Peele or Scott Derrickson or I'm trying to think of one of the other ones, but the, you know we we're, we're just like oh hey here's somebody who understands good horror, and there you go. Otherwise, if they're just paying guys who know how to do cheap horror, they end up with things like Truth or Dare or, you know, uh, I think they did the Insidious series. Basically, just like, oh, hey, here's something cheap and it plays off of people's fear of gore and it utilizes jump scares a lot. So there you go. But when they get people like who know how to do good horror, then they get really solid stuff like Ma. Uh, and yeah, I, I definitely, if you're a fan, if you like feeling unsettled and creepy and like solid horror and that's in that regard especially like psychological thriller horror this is something for you definitely top tier blumhouse so those are the reviews for this past week we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back it's time to talk about the king of the monsters himself godzilla hello everyone and welcome i'm melody i'm max i'm dexter i'm diana and i'm john and together we host the book review and discussion podcast living in the stacks every two weeks we take the time to read a book and then meet online to discuss it we'll talk about what we liked what we didn't like and if we'd read the book again whatever the genre whoever the author whether it's good or bad we'll read anything once so if you want to join us this at about midnight on friday the 7th because my life is in shambles and i'm completely burning out but that topic is for next week because this week we're talking the king of the monsters yeah i went through the entire godzilla franchise probably part of the reason i feel all this burnout but uh we'll talk about that next week um at any rate uh before we get into the main discussion about like his the, the franchise and my thoughts, uh, like with the Pokemon uh, episode uh, for Detective Pikachu, I'm gonna go down the list. This time I'm gonna go from bottom to top, ranking my worst of the 38 uh, Godzilla media because I'm including the TV shows as well. Uh, from worst, from my least favorite to my favorite. So starting at the bottom, we've got Godzilla by Hanna Barbera. I couldn't make it through one episode. I literally had to, I was five minutes in and I turned it off. It was so bad. It was, it is genuinely unwatchable. So, plus it has nothing of the fun parts of Godzilla and it's just all of the worst parts of Hanna-Barbera. It's, it's honestly only tangentially related to the big G, so screw that. Number 37, All Monsters Attack, my least favorite of the Godzilla movies. I just, I'm sorry. I just think it's a trite, piece of garbage it's just completely pandering to kids it's 
once again, is barely Godzilla related. It's only because this weirdo dork in, in you know the dorky Japanese kid who turns out to just be a full on like you know bully in you know when he when he when he finally gets the confidence, he just becomes an asshole. So you know what? Screw all monsters attack slash Godzilla's revenge, whatever you want to call it. Screw that kid and screw his little weird dream sequences where Minna, Minya gets to grow from human size, human child size to monster child size. Just, the whole movie is stupid and awful. Uh, number 36, Godzilla the Planet Eater, which is the final episode, final uh, entry in the Netflix anime trilogy. They bring in Ghidorah and references to Mothra, two of the most iconic figures in Godzilla lore and they screwed it up both times by once again only focusing on this whiny little anime douche Haruo is the worst character in the Godzilla mythos personally speaking just worst worst character ever in this franchise just the like he gets everyone around him killed and for some reason is still the hero nah screw that screw this asshole and just Screw the anime uh, trilogy for Netflix. It is it is genuinely awful. Uh, number 34? Uh, no, uh, number 35. I'm skipping ahead. Number 35 is Godzilla vs. Megalon. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. I'm sure the Rift Tracks is a lot of fun, but this movie by itself is not. It is terribly dubbed. Uh, the plot makes absolutely no sense. Megalon is an interesting design, but its movie sucks. So, so um, no apologies for that. Number 34. Not as low as for a lot of people, but still still bottom five is Godzilla 1998. Sony Pictures Godzilla. Well, Columbia TriStar's Godzilla, I guess. Or TriStar Pictures Godzilla. Corporations are weird and ruin everything. Uh, so, yeah. The... Godzilla that was so awful, the entire millennium era of Toho's Godzilla was spent dunking on it and then ended with them buying the rights to it so they could kill it in one shot. Technically two shots, I think, because he slams his tail and makes it makes Zilla hit the get the um opera house and then then he hits it in one shot. But yeah, basically two shots, uh uh Zilla. That's how, the, yeah, so that's basically this movie's legacy is being two-shotted by the actual Godzilla. Also a pretty decent series. We'll get into that. Uh, number thirty-four, number 33, Godzilla versus Megaguirus. Uh, yeah, this is the worst of the Millennium uh, Era. Just abs... The Millennium Era is boring, but Megaguirus is annoying. And while the concept of a giant dragonfly monster is cool... The way they handle it is basically like a lamer version of Godzilla versus Destroya. And it's just as a follow-up to Godzilla 2000, which is a nice return to form for the for the big you know for the big king, it really is just the pits to watch the, him go from solid Godzilla to just awful Godzilla. Following up that, uh number 32, Godzilla Planet of Monsters. The anime trilogy is garbage, and I make no apologies for saying that. Number 31, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters, All Out Attack. Cool title. Interesting premise. Interesting change to the lore. Godzilla looks like a grandpa with his pants hiked up to his chest. 
just awful cost uh design you know monster design there you do all the the Ghidorah, the Ghidorah heads look like they have overbites and the actual storyline is just not watchable or fun for me cool idea cool premise behind it like Godzilla is the incarnated souls of those who've died due, during the uh, nuclear attacks in Japan and it's he is essentially rage incarnate it's a cool idea but the but the actual execution of it is pretty bad. Uh, number 30, King, uh, a classic one, King Kong versus Godzilla. One of the first ever real crossovers in the franchise. It's also just awful to watch in retrospect. Once again, just the, the soon, you know, the soon, yeah, it took like 70, 80 years for King Kong to find, you know, the makers of King Kong to finally drop the whole just awful depiction of natives in their movies. And this is really terrible. This is Japan's racist depictions of Polynesians by making the kids smoke cigarettes. You know, they allow the kids to smoke cigarettes. Oh, isn't that funny? Isn't it hilarious? Ha, ha, ha. Oh, God, it's so... It leans in on this awful, awful sense of humor. And then... When Godzilla and King Kong, the big bout, when they actually fight, they throw rocks at each other. Godzilla kicks some rocks. And then all of a sudden, King Kong gets lazy, gets gets electricity powers and becomes Taser Fingers. Got King Kong now becomes Taser Fingers. It's, it's super bad. Just awful. Following that up at number 29, slightly better is King Kong Escapes, which is actually Toho's adaptation of Hanna-Barbera's King Kong series. I'm assuming because of Hanna-Barbera, that series is awful, but at least this was slightly better, a slightly better Toho version of King Kong than the actual King Kong versus Godzilla. It's technically part of the Toho monsterverse. I didn't go all the way back to do like Mothra and Rodan, uh, but yeah, this is, I did want to include this because I initially thought it was actually a sequel to King Kong versus Godzilla. I relearned later it was actually just a just its own thing but i wanted to include it anyway uh i'll probably not include it knowing that next time um number 28 ebira horror of the deep snooze fest absolutely boring godzilla movie plot is kind of like the marketing i remember seeing the posters for this and seeing the mark, you know, some of the marketing for this in a 1998 Godzilla compendium they made right after Godzilla versus Destroya, and not too far after, a little bit after Godzilla, it ended with Godzilla versus Destroya, but came out before um, Sony East Godzilla, and it included all the Toho Godzilla stuff, and they showed the marketing and posters for Ebira, and which was uh, sold in America as Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, and. It looked like it was going to be beach uh, blanket bingo or some sort of beach bikini horror, uh, bikini sort of movie meets, you know, like the 60s had these uh, bikini movies, uh, bikinis at the beach movies. Uh, 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 I'm trying to think of some of the names, but uh, beach blanket bingo, I, I remember was one. Um, uh, but then, you know, the, I think Fred Astaire did a bunch of them and there was like a big thing in the sixties, uh, for like teens. It's like, oh, Hey, here's, here's attractive people in bikinis and at the beach. And then just nonsense stories surrounding that. That was a thing for the longest time. And 
I thought that's what this was going to be. And instead it was this weird thing where a where Cobra, not the actual Cobra, but basically Cobra uh, from G.I. Joe, kidnaps the villagers from Infant Island to work as slaves to control Ebira and take over the world using a weird fruit-based paste. And then somehow Godzilla shows up because this one dude knows for a fact his fisherman brother uh, crashed on the island and it's so stupid and it's and it's and it's boring as hell so it's not moving on uh number 27 speaking of destroyer godzilla versus destroyer uh or destoroya destoroya but yeah destroyer um i think some i know there's a contingent of people that do like it as a big final tribute um, I used to like it, and rewatching it now, it is honestly my least favorite of the entire uh, Heisei era. It just really is this depressing, really depressing downer of a movie. It's just like everyone's dying. It's it's like this weird nihilistic take on Godzilla, and Destroya itself is a cool design, but doesn't really do anything in the movie. Uh, sadly, you'd think having a monster based, you know, created by the oxygen destroyer from the first movie, you would build up to something that's really cool. And instead, it's just kind of, you know, a generic monster that he fights. Doesn't really mean anything. Number 26, the best of the Netflix anime trilogy, Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle. Best in that it's actually kind of boring and it is mediocre. And it only is better than the first movie and the third movie because it, the way they included Mechagodzilla was intriguing. And that's about it. That's the best thing it's got going for it is this nano-based Mechagodzilla city. And everything else about it is stupid because Haruo is garbage and trash and screw him. Number 25, Godzilla Raids Again. A really piss-poor follow-up to the original. They took this really ominous and uh, powerful movie about that and that you know that uh works as an analogy for the uh hiroshima and nagasaki attacks on japan as well as just nuclear testing as a whole and they followed it up with some lame story about uh the, this fishing company that's that's being affected by godzilla that somehow gets affected by godzilla and the characters are nowhere near as compelling and the actual fights with Anguirus are just kind of meh. It just is a f fairly bad follow-up. Plus, not, not only that, they had to follow it up by, there's another Godzilla! Oh, no! Because they already wrote themselves into a corner after the first one. So, yeah, it's just not very good. Honestly, on rewatch. I think the only thing of note that I remember, uh, and you'll see this in my um, in my uh, uh, original attempt at this, back over on uh, Daily Motion as the Solitary Nerd, uh... There's a bit where George Takei, who who in his early days did voiceover uh, for stuff, he did the dubbing for the main character in this movie for for Gigantus the Fire Monster, the version that's released in America. And there is a bit where they had no other words to dub it, so they just basically make George uh, George Takei say banana oil because they had no other words to put there. <laughs> so he just makes like ha banana oil. What? That's basically the only thing of note about this movie. And that's only in the dub. Uh, number 24, Ghidra, the three-headed monster. 
introduces one of Godzilla's most iconic villains, and it's a just hot mess of a movie trying to mesh Godzilla's story, Rodan's story, Mothra's story, and this new monster all into one. The Shulgin are going on talk shows and making, you know, small talk with little kids, and they're like celebrities now, and it's just all very weird and not very fun, honestly. Um, following that up, the sequel, Invasion of the Astro Monster, is actually a much better version of uh, the introduction of Ghidra. Like, if that was the origin to Ghidra, that would have been way better. But at the same point, like, it's still a fairly mediocre... A lot of the Showa was, era was mediocre. Um, yeah, just Ma Godzilla... Not without Mothra, Godzilla and Rodan fight Ghidra, and there's aliens now. They're, they're aliens again, and the Ghidra... Now there are more aliens from the other side of Jupiter or whatever. It's always stupid. Number 22, Terror of Mechagodzilla. Very middling end to the Showa era. It's just... Titanosaurus is an interesting design once again, but the way they utilize it is fairly lame. And then it's like an interesting idea to follow... Like following it up with the aliens from the previous movie, uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, are trying to rebuild Mechagodzilla... And they're using some weird, whack, some mad scientist's vendetta against humanity for ignoring his studies on Titanosaurus to, I don't know, I think weaken Godzilla so that their Mecha Godzilla can come in and finish the job. And it's, it's just, it's, it has the parts of a cool story and it just never fully executes it well. Uh, number 21, the entire Godzilla of the series. I, I, unlike the Godzilla Hanna-Barbera, the Godzilla the series, the spinoff from the 1998 uh, TriStar Godzilla, it, this was, this managed to make the very terrible Roland Emmerich Godzilla and salvage something from it. Because it's a fairly decent Saturday morning cartoon. Monsters of the Week, really really cool designs, Really interesting storylines they were trying to build up with, but for the most part, it is fairly middling. Like it's a lot of a lot of the stories don't really catch do anything. It's just like, hey, what's the weird quirk of the our cast of humans has today? And then there were very rarely there's like the best episodes were the ones where they did culminate in um, the creation of Monster Island, and like that because that had weight, that had stakes built up to it, and it was a multi-parter. It was really interesting, and. Nothing really else compared to that. It was just all, none of it really mattered. I mean, the subplots where they did go into uh, Nick and Audrey's relationship were sometimes cool, but for the most part, it was just like Nick's jealous because Audrey's getting attention from another guy, and it's like, wow, it's a lot of the same beats and tropes played over and over again. Doesn't really build to anything, sadly. Um, Following that up, uh, number 20, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, the original uh, American, which was just different enough from the from the original Gojira that I wanted to include it. And it's it's an average B-movie that America released. That one's fairly forgettable. And especially when Gojira is much more widely available, there's no reason to watch it. Uh, next up, night. Son of Godzilla, which is a lot of fun uh, in retrospect, but still not amazing. I still think Manila is the weakest of the Godzilla children. The best, of course, is Godzilla from the Heisei era. If you couldn't tell, Heisei is a very... I think Heisei just speaks to my inner 90s kid, because that's the era it came out in. But uh, yeah, Son of Godzilla is fine for what it is. It's interesting ideas, nice execution for the most part. Not great, but all right. 
Number 18, Godzilla vs. Mothra Battle for the Earth. Uh, this is definitely one of the lower-end Heisei movies. Because that's the thing. As we get closer to the top of the list, you'll notice that Mothra's uh, presence really adds to the Godzilla stories. But at the same time, this one didn't really nail it. I think because the dubbing for this one, I, I meant this was the only one that I could watch that, of the Heisei era that I watched that that I could only watch as a dub. And the dubbing is really bad for this one. Not to mention the fact that the storyline itself is just fairly, you know, just retreading the Mothra storyline, ultimately. It's just, here, we're, we're, we're remaking the Mothra storyline again. Uh, I do, And I, they changed the name from the Shobjin to the Cosmos, and they don't really amount to anything. They're much better in the Millennium Era, but they're still the best in the, Sho in the Showa Era. But yeah, it's just... Batra's an interesting design, but he steals Rodan's voice for some reason. What you couldn't, you had to recycle a monster roar, even though you're reintroducing Rodan the next movie. Like, just some weird choices that they made that I feel like hinder it. Uh, number seventeen, Godzilla two thousand. Nice return to form. I don't really care much for Orga. I know he's a fan that he has his fans, but personally, I never really liked Orga or the aliens. I thought if they had just stuck with Godzilla as the main antagonist and then sometime and then have a human antagonist that's just dead set on destroying him, that would have been much more interesting than this weird alien subplot that doesn't really amount to anything. Number 16, Godzilla against Mechagodzilla or Godzilla X Mechagodzilla. Yeah, the Millennium Era is slightly above average here from uh, from here on. Um yeah, I didn't like Mechagirus or the one-off Mothra King Ghidorah GMK All Monsters Attack, Giant Monsters All Out Attack. Uh, but 2000 was solid. Uh, I guess Mecha, once again, whenever Godzilla's fighting Mechagodzilla, for the most part, that's a good bet. Your best bets are with Godzilla fighting Mechagodzilla or some Godzilla featuring Mothra. And we'll get to another better one uh, than this. But yeah, um, concept are interesting, but execution is fairly lackluster. Just okay. Better than average, but not great. Number 15. Everything above here, uh, from here on, the star, the ratings for stars are four out of five. Uh, so, Destroy All Monsters. Classic Godzilla c collaboration. This was Toho setting up a cinematic universe well before Marvel. And then I'm sure they did it before Toho as well. But yeah, the cinematic universe, as we, uh, the, this kind of set a lot of the groundwork for cinematic universes with things like this. Destroy All Monsters is stupid, but I had a lot of fun rewatching it. And the monster fight and the big all-out attack on Ghidorah at the end was was a lot of fun to watch. It's stupid, but it's fun, like, cheesy B-movie 60s show, classic Showa stuff. Uh, right above that is Godzilla vs. Hedora. Could have been even better. It's ha it's a lot of fun with the, um, you know, Captain Planet environmental message and having Hedorah be literal just pollution incarnate. And then Godzilla fights it and it takes Godzilla's collaboration with the humanity to finally bring an end to this pollution monstrosity. But then there's weird stuff like Godzilla elevating himself with his own atomic breath and these weird side tangents that look like they were taken from the anime. They look like they were rejects from... Sesame Street or um, um, Electric Company sort of animated sequences. And it's just weird drug trippy stuff. It's the guy who made it clear, didn't admit it to not being a fan of Godzilla. And he just made this drug trip nonsense. And it was all, it's all nonsense. So yeah, I had fun though. 
Number 13, Godzilla vs. Gigan. Bit of a nostalgia trip for me, because this is the one I would watch the most from the Showa era. I loved the, you know, I, I loved the introduction of Gigan and Ghidorah. I loved um, how cheesy the spy stuff is. Now we're getting into spy thrillers in the Showa era. It's all, it's all nonsense, but once again, and then like, in the dub, there's this weird, like, radio thing, like, and while um, Godzilla and Angus are talking to each other, which is from the Japanese dub, as which is from the Japanese original audio, but in the Japanese version, they had, like, comic cartoon, like, uh, comic strip uh, speech bubbles coming out. Uh, and for the dub, for the English dub, they just had them talking over the... <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot of silliness and i and i love it even now so it's uh, i had a lot of fun rewatching it number 12 the original godzilla versus mecha godzilla has one of the most iconic audio clip just one of the best songs from the entire godzilla franchise yo you've got your major themes especially from the original godzilla that are classic but i think like the best and the most re-listenable is the bow the fight between uh, Anguirus and Mechagodzilla in disguise is this... Bam, bam, bam. Like, it's, it was the theme for my original... It was going to be the theme for this Hail to the King retrospective as well. You know? This is this big band music, and it's all great, and it's set to the fight amazingly. It's it's still goofy, show by air stuff, spy thrillers, Interpol's involved now. We got Interpol going on <laughs> again. I don't know what was the big deal with Interpol, but they were all over Godzilla in the sh later Showa era. But yeah, still a lot of fun, still holds up. Uh, number 11, Return of Godzilla, the, 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 the beginning of the Heisei era from 1984. It is a solid follow-up, much better. Once again, this is a what this what Godzilla raids again should have been. Uh, sort of just continuing on the Godzilla thing, like um, Godzilla returns somehow, and then oh my god, what happened? Like not not uh, Godzilla raids again. Uh, Godzilla versus Godzilla two thousand. Godzilla two thousand should have been much more like Return of Godzilla, and doesn't hold up quite as well. The costume is part animatronic, and it's very stiff. But the this movie itself is a lot of fun, 80, che cheesy 80s, uh, sort of like Cinemax, made-for-TV movies, sort of fun. Uh, number 10, Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. It took them like 40 years to, 40, uh, 30, 40 years to finally get to the point where they're taking Godzilla to space. And, they're, and they have the space-themed Godzilla monster, and it's a lot of fun. Mogera is kind of pointless. I feel like if Mogera was replaced by Becca Godzilla 2, it would have worked way better, but... Yeah, Space Godzilla is a lot of fun. Number nine. Uh, we've broken into the top ten without me realizing it. Uh, Godzilla Tokyo Godzilla Tokyo SOS, which was Godzilla X Mothra X Mechagodzilla X Mothra Tokyo SOS in, Jap in Japan. And that one is a much better version of Godzilla. Like, it works because Godzilla against, Mecha God against Mechagodzilla set it up. And then the follow-up with this one made it worthwhile it's worth um uh, i don't know if you have to watch godzilla against mechagodzilla first but tokyo sos took the that setup of the original godzilla's bones being used as the basis for mechagodzilla and mothra being outraged by the discre the the um, 
the um, desecration of the dead like that and demanding that humanity, she will protect humanity if they dismantle this robot that, and let Godzilla, the original Godzilla, rest in peace. Not to mention the fact that the actual bone, the spirit of Godzilla is messing with the mechan- with the actual, like, uh, tech, you know, the computer programming of Mecha- of the Kiryu. Kiryu? I think it's Kiryu. Kiryu. I don't know. Uh, but that that the Millennium Mechagodzilla sort of programming is being meddled with because the spirit of the original Godzilla is restless because its bones are being used like this. And that was set up in the Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, but here it's played out much better. It's just a, it's just a very great best thing from the Millennium series. Uh, well, second best. We'll get into that. Uh, number eight, Godzilla versus Biollante. A lot of people don't like this one. I had a lot of fun. This is another nostalgia bomb for me. This is the one from the Heisei era I would watch the most. And yeah, the spy stuff with this weird fake Middle Eastern country trying to uh trying to, you know, steal the information for this brand new like plant you know, plant that can survive in the desert or something like that. Some kind of weapon thing or another. It's it's so stupid and the dubbing is like the mix of the Japanese uh, voices with the American dub because the people speaking English in these movies in the Heisei era are trash. Just terrible delivery in all of them. But I had a lot of fun. I love Biolante. And I think it, her creation and her execution are solid. So I really, I, I can't help but love Godzilla versus Biolante. Plus that poster art from the that was on the original VHS cover is just one of the best. Uh, number six, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. This is the first one that got the Heisei era cut off from the West because of its depiction of uh, white people from the future trying to destroy Japan as the enemy and then depictions of the U.S. military in World War II being defeated, being, you know, ha- you know being attacked by a giant dinosaur. Apparently, uh, uh, American distributors didn't want to bother with that. They figured the... the uh, any sort of notoriety and infamy coming from that wouldn't be worth it. They wouldn't make as much money, probably because the return on investment from Return of Godzilla, Godzilla 1985 uh, in the U.S., and then following it up with Biolante. Honestly, I think it was more just they're not really getting a return on investment from their from the distribution, so they didn't even bother with this much more infamous for Westerners uh, storyline. Plus. The whole idea of, like, Japan overtakes everyone and becomes the giant world power that buys everyone and owns everybody. And it's like, okay, settle down. Don't need to make Japan into China or America. Just calm down with that, Japan. Like, yeah, nice patting yourself on the back. Like, we're going to be the most amazing and we're going to buy everybody. You'll see in the future. But that whole subplot aside, like, the new Ghidorah, the origin is interesting, and then, like, the fights with Godzilla are cool, and then the introduction of Mecha Ghidorah is, uh, is solid. Just all all great. The Heisei Arrow is probably the best version of Godzilla, but I'll save that for afterwards. Um, I skipped one. I skipped seven. Final Wars. Great tribute. Just, like, you know, like a cover... Like, like all the hits. All the greatest hits. It's all absolute nonsense, but I love it. So yeah, Biolante, Godzilla Final Wars at seven, Ghidorah, King Ghidorah at at six. Top five, starting off with Mothra versus Godzilla, or here in the U.S., Godzilla versus the Thing. 
I adore this movie. Four and a half out of five stars. Just, I love the idea behind um, the environmental message, the anti-corporate message, the you know the dig against this corporate greed. Uh, first by trying to steal Mothra's egg and, and profit off of it, then trying to steal the Shobjin and profit off of them. And all the while, like, just causing untold destruction to the environment in the name of profit and then that and and it turn wakes up godzilla who does you know who becomes their undoing and then it has to become to mothra to protect humanity and they have to beg mothra to do it because of all the ills they have done toward her and it's just a really solid movie i love i love mothra versus godzilla number four godzilla versus mecha godzilla 2 it builds on the stories from the previous entries in this fran- in this uh more specifically it's like a follow it follows up on the events of uh Godzilla versus King Ghidorah and creates just just this amazing storyline. Miki Segusa by the way is the best character in all of Godzilla. You know just the entire franchise, she is the best character bar, bar none. And uh, you know, the storyline with Godzilla, with baby Godzilla in this, and then the new Rodan that eventually becomes Fire Rodan because of psychic powers, and the new Mecha Godzilla, which is super cool. And the fact that the, the guy, this guy is jaded by the fact that his jet plane was never going to get the chance to test fight Godzilla because of Mecha Godzilla, and he finally gets to do it by making it a power up to the to mecha godzilla and it's just like all of it i really love mecha godzilla too it's just a absolutely fantastic entry in the franchise one of the best number three the original gojira yeah it's not number one it's not number one mainly because i think the love triangle hinders it for me i don't want to rewatch it just because i'd have to sit through that nonsense the stuff there where it serves as an allegory for uh the the bombings and the actual fi- the uh, the actual assault on Tokyo by Godzilla, the whole thing with the oxygen destroyer serving as its own uh, commentary on uh, atomic energy and atomic weaponry, it it's really good. And then the stupid stupid love try. One of the best parts about K- Godzilla King of the Monsters is the the original is that it cut out all of that most of that nonsense of the love triangle. Uh, I think if it trimmed down to like a hundred minutes instead of like almost two hours, it would have been even better. It would have been perfect, but I think it drags a bit just because of this stupid, stupid. I'm not a fan of love triangles. I think they're trite and overused and they just take me out of the story entirely. Anyway, so what tops the original Gojira? Well, number two, Kong Skull Island. Kong returns this time as part of the legendary. Mo- I feel like I forgot something. Where did I think there's supposed to be 39 because the original God the Godzilla in 2014 is supposed to be on here somewhere. Let me go to Letterboxd. I didn't I must not have updated um uh, my notes, but I know I have it up to date in Letterboxd. By the way, if you want to uh see some of my reviews uh before the episodes come out, you can check me out over on Letterboxd. Uh, let's letter boxd.com uh follow corn junkie pod let me go to my lists hail to the king rankings i got that right after godzilla king of the monsters between son of godzilla and king of the monsters is the 2014 godzilla i knew i forgot something but 
that one's fairly forgettable. Even though Brian Cranston is amazing, Ken Watanabe is amazing. Um, the new Godzilla, it looks great when they actually show him. I think Gareth Edwards spends too much time hiding him. Also, um, Elizabeth Olsen is fantastic, but Aaron Taylor Johnson sucks. And like in the year before, they were meant to play brother, brother and sister, their husband and wife, and he is just. He is so he is a lot more fun as Quicksilver than he is as boring McSoldier face here in this movie. Just cool, uh, cool idea, cool concept, cool way to introduce Godzilla as a, in this new MonsterVerse era. But Gareth Edwards just spends too much time hiding away from the actual Godzilla and the human. That would be fine if the human element meant something, if it mattered. But Honestly, the human character, the fact that we're following a boring main character just sucks all of the fun out of the movie. I also forgot Shin Godzilla. So yeah, Tokyo SOS is out of the top. No, wait. One, two, three, four. Yeah, um. Okay, so the top ten is Tokyo SOS, Biolante, Final Wars, King Ghidorah, then Shin Godzilla. I forgot to update my notes that whole time. Sorry. Like I said, burnout. It, I'm in tatters. I'm shattered. Anyway, Shin Godzilla. I love that it's a uh, knock against um, the whole uh, fallout from... Fallout, sorry. Um, from the Fukushima disaster. And it was sort of the... Who was the director? Uh, the guy from Evangelion. Um, crew... Hideaki Anno. Um, I think he did a made a great movie and a great commentary on the on Japan and its bureaucracy and its you know you know sort of reliance on outside powers and its need to stand up for itself. And it's got this these cool themes, but it's all talking and it's fairly boring. The the Shin Godzilla d design is super weird and alien and unlike any we've ever seen before. And his powers are new and unique and they bring something new to the redesign, but the movie, I just never want to watch it again. I have no interest in watching it again because just all talk about bureaucracy. It's a great movie. I never really care to watch it again just because it's dragged its feet so much with all of its talking points. And it's just like, you know, stop talking and make a, you know, stop talking. We get it. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, uh, Kong. Anyway, up to Kong Skull Island. Kong Skull Island is an absolute blast, and I have no. And I for some reason never rated it five stars initially, but I rate it five stars now, and it is one of my favorite movies of all time. I need to update my list of um, my hundred favorite movies of all time. That's gonna be the new list on Letterboxd. Is my hundred favorite movies of all time. I'm gonna take the list from my two hundredth episode, and then update it with all of my more recent five star reviews. So yeah, Kong Skull Island, phenomenal, like great throwback to Vietnam War movies. The Kong design is excellent and the effects are solid. The monsters for, Sk for Skull Island are great. I really like the, the Skull Biters or the whatever um, uh, uh, John C. Ryan. I think he kind of throws things off a bit. His, his humor kind of like comes out of nowhere, but it makes sense given that he's been on this island for years. So he feels out of place. And I think it's a fun addition. Uh, Sam Jackson is amazing as the antagonist. Uh, and his his, his, um, his mo um, motive for doing what he does. 
Tom Edelson is kind of boring, and so is Brie Larson a bit, but at least they don't aren't forced into a romance on uh, like the um, yet another love triangle with Kong. Kong has no interest in the humans at all. I love that about him. I love that he's no longer this weird, almost um, stand-in for interracial relationships. It's been it's been talked about, you know, King Kong has a reference for you know black men loving white women and the need for white men to defend them. That commentary has been made before by much more qualified people. But yeah, I like that it's not here. And I like that the natives aren't offensive. They're just existing. They're not, they're, they don't really do much of anything yet. They're, and they're never really exploited. They just exist as part of this island. And I, I like it. I do. I did. I really love Kong Skull Island in retrospect. Um, but the number one Godzilla movie for me is Godzilla King of the Monsters 2019. It gave me absolutely everything I could have wanted. I raved about it. It is currently my favorite movie of 2019 and is now my favorite Godzilla movie of the entire retrospective. Absolutely phenomenal, and I have no shame in admitting that. So that was the ranking for Godzilla. Uh, one last rundown for since I kind of rambled through most of that. Uh, at the very bottom was Godzilla Hanna Barbera with like um, with zero stars essentially. Uh, uh, above that is All Monsters Attack slash Godzilla's Revenge. Above that is Godzilla the Planet Eater from Netflix. Above that is Godzilla. So I think we're forty. Let me update it in my notes so I can do a breakdown of the list. Uh, so that's Shin Godzilla after Mothra versus. King Mothra versus Godzilla. Editing in my notes live on mic. This is stuff you'll only get from Popcorn Junkie. And then Godzilla 2014 right above King of the Monsters. There we go. All right. Now we're up to date. 40. 40 entries in this, in this retrospective. Number 40, Hanna-Barbera. 39, All Monsters Attack. 38, The Planet Eater. The Planet Eater, 37, Godzilla vs. Megalon, 36, Godzilla, Godzilla uh, 1998, 35, Godzilla vs. Megagurus, 34, Planet of Monsters from Netflix, 33, GMK, Giant Monsters All Out Attack, 32, King Kong vs. Godzilla, 31, King Kong Escapes, 30, Ebira, Horror of the Deep, 29, Godzilla vs. Dest Destroya, uh, 28, Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle, 27, Godzilla Reads Again, 26, Ghidra, the Three-Headed Monster. 25, Invasion of the Astro Monster. 24, Terror of Mechagodzilla. 23, Godzilla the Series. 22, Godzilla King of the Monsters from 1956, uh, I believe. 55, 56. Number 21, Godzilla 2014. Number 20, Son of Godzilla. Number 19, Godzilla vs. Mothra, Battle for Earth. Number 18, Godzilla 2000. Number, number 17, Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. Number 16, Destroy All Monsters. Number set number 15, Godzilla vs. Hedora. Number 14, or Hedera, I guess. Number 14, Godzilla vs. Gigan. Number 13, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Number 12, Return of Godzilla slash Godzilla 1985. Number 11, Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. Number 10, Godzilla uh, Tokyo SOS. Number 9, Godzilla vs. Biolante. Number 8, Godzilla Final Wars. Number 7, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. Number six, Shin Godzilla. Number five, Mothra vs. Godzilla. Number four, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2. Number three, Gojira, 1954. 
Number two, Kong Skull Island. And number one, Godzilla King of the Monsters 2019. Uh, so, brief discussion on sort of my thoughts on the all the eras. The Showa era has the most content uh, of all the eras. But for the most part, they're actually fairly mediocre. You know, it has the worst parts with all monsters attack. And also some of the best parts with the original Godzilla. And Mothra vs. Godzilla. But... The all the rest in the middle range from two to four stars. Not really amazing for the most part, uh, but it is one of the first instances of a cinematic universe, and uh, we're going to talk about that in a bit with Toho's future plans for Godzilla. The Heisei era, which began with Godzilla in 1984, uh, Return of Godzilla, and ended with Godzilla vs. Destroya in 1995. Uh, it's the most consistent in tone. It's a lot of, but but it's still a lot of B movie fun. It has some of the better effects of the entire Godzilla franchise, even better than Millennium. Uh, it's weird. The 90s effects were better than they were in the 2000s. <laughs> you know, take you know, make of that what you will. Uh, Miki Segusa is the best Godzilla character, hands down. But it ends on a bad note for me, personally, just because I feel like it, it's such a downer of an ending for this era, and it doesn't really amount to anything. I feel like it could have been done way better. Uh, the Millennium era... Mostly spiteful to Sony's Godzilla. It's basically an entire era of Godzilla built out of spite. Uh, and it ranges from average to terrible. And with only one real outlier, which is Godzilla again, Godzilla Tokyo SOS and um, Final Wars, which is much more of a tribute to 50 years of Godzilla. It's an anniversary special more than it is an entry in the Millennium franchise. Um, interesting design for the most part uh and then the 50th anniversary featured is probably one of the better highlights um but yeah uh the current era is called the reiwa period once again these are all based on the eras of japan showa was the 60s in japan heisei was the 90s in japan reiwa is the current era of japan of japanese history as we speak it's happening as we are talking and that's what they're naming this this part starting with shin godzilla uh, and then uh, the anime movies are absolutely terrible. But I believe the next step in God's, in Toho's Godzilla movies are going to be part of this Reiwa era. And then, of course, you got the American uh, iterations. Um, Hanna-Barbera's God Awful. The 98 movie was a travesty. The series was a much but need, was a much needed improvement, but it didn't really amount to anything. And the legendary Monsterverse is the best currently. Um just in terms of overall quality. We'll see once it gets more entries, if it if it does, starts to stale like Showa did. But uh, the most consistent overall, I think it uh, it's my favorite currently, but we'll see what happens. The Heisei was the most consistent overall and the best era overall, but we'll see about this legendary MonsterVerse, how it pans out. Speaking of which, um, the MonsterVerse is continuing with Godzilla vs. Kong in 2020, March of 2020, plus Legendary has mentioned ideas for a prequel movie about the actual Titans themselves and the proto-human civilizations that worshipped them and lived among them. Uh, but that's all that's really coming out from them, although they, uh, they definitely are more interested with Godzilla's success, which we'll get into. Um, as for Toho... They are looking at starting a new cinematic universe with uh, Godzilla starting in 2021. And they have announced that there will not be a sequel to Shin Godzilla. It'll be its own thing. So whether or not the Reiwa period ends with the Netflix movies or if it continues in this new cinematic universe, we'll wait and see what they how they decide that. But that's what's coming up from Godzilla. So 
Next year, we've got Godzilla vs. Kong, which is not a straight remake of King Kong vs. Godzilla story-wise, but is definitely going to be a nice follow-up and a great way to kind of combine Kong and Godzilla now that, they're, now that they've established themselves. Took more time than a uh, freaking <laughs> Justice League did. Uh, did they? Yeah, they did. They did Justice League after three movies. At least King Kong waited. At least Kong, the Godzilla King Kong crossover waited for the fourth entry in the franchise. They waited for two of Godzilla, one of King Kong, and then they crossed over. Then the DC decided Superman. Now it's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Now it's just all the Justice League. We have to catch up, everybody. Uh, but DC seems to be in better hands now, so. Those are my thoughts on the Godzilla franchise. So now that we've talked about all that, it's time to take a look at the box office report. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the weekend of May 31st through June 2nd, just for the numbers wise. But then when I go into the actual movies, they are, they are going to be up to date uh, to include Thursday's numbers. So keep that in mind. As for the top seven, uh, we lost A Dog's Journey, The Hustle, Brightburn, and Booksmart. All of them dropped out of the top seven entirely. Uh, so taking a look at the top seven right now, uh, well, that as for as of last weekend, we have Pokemon Detective Pikachu brought in $6.9 million. Uh, it currently has... $133.7 million domestically, almost made back its entire budget domestically, and then worldwide has made almost $400 million with $369.3 million. So, wild success for Detective Pikachu. Definitely looking at, definitely there are going to be some legendary uh, Pokemon movies to come. And very Legendary making both Godzilla and, and Pokemon has, has basically made me love them even more. Like, I like them for the most part initially, just because of all the, like, when I see the Legendary logo, it means I'm probably going to like this. And now I'm very interested to see how they handle um, Pokemon as well as Godzilla. They may be my favorite uh, production house uh, in, you know, in Hollywood right now. Uh, number six, uh, Avengers Endgame dropped from three to six uh, with $8 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross currently up to 818.7 million dollars and it's worldwide gross up to 2.7 billion so yes avengers endgame is still successful shocker number two number five is that last week's number two john wick chapter three parabellum it brought in over the weekend 11 point 11 million dollars essentially just a smidge over that and currently has 130 million dollars domestically and 228 million dollars uh internationally which let me see the series John Wick. It is the highest grossing out of all of them. As for the budget, let me take a look at chapter two. It's probably not much more than chapter two, which is also not listed on Box Office Mojo. The first one cost 20. I highly doubt this cost more than $30 million to make, maybe 40. But yeah, it it's definitely proven itself to be a wildly successful franchise. Can each one outdoing the last one? So yeah. Can't wait to see. They already announced John Wick Chapter 4 is already going to begin production. I think they're going to aim for later next year, maybe 2021. I, I hope they don't try to rush it out for 2020. I hope they... But knowing them, they probably had the idea set up and they were just waiting for the green light after John Wick Chapter 3 success. Premiering at number 4 this past weekend was Ma, bringing in $18 million, which um, 
currently has $23 million domestically and a little extra internationally has uh, $26.4 million. On a $5 million budget, is a wild success. So Blumhouse continues to rake in all the money just because they do things on the cheap, but they still make some solid movies that people want to see. Number three is Rocket Man, which brought in $25.7 million this weekend and currently has $34 million domestically and doubled that internationally. So worldwide has $69.6 million. And on a $40 million budget, it's a success. So people definitely are seeing this. Uh, we'll see how it is uh, compared to Bohemian Rhapsody. I think Bohemian Rhapsody uh, is going to earn much more in the long run just because Freddie Mercury and Queen are much more iconic, but we'll see. Number two is last week's number one, Aladdin, which brought in $42.8 million. Currently has $203 million domestically and $496 million internationally after two weeks. Iger has yet to be disappointed by these. It just, it just, no, people just keep do, let, making it happen. People will not let, let this trend die because they keep going to support this. <sighs> oh, well. Anyway, premiere at number one was my favorite movie of the year, King of the Monsters, with $47.7 million in, over the weekend. Currently has $60 million domestically and has made over overall $190 million. Uh, it made back its budget, so it's not a flop, but it just is not making the money domestically. It's going to depend on the foreign markets. I highly expect China to carry this movie. Uh, America just is not into Godzilla, sadly. But maybe we'll see. Maybe people were just turned off by the last Godzilla, so they didn't go see this one. Maybe it'll get some word of mouth going around. Um, we'll see. I know critics are are hating it because there's too much monsters now, but critics are terrible and they have no idea what they're talking about for the most part. Anyway, yeah, that was that was the week that was. And now that we've looked at that, let's take a look to the week ahead. To today, as of this episode's release, in trailer talk. Coming this summer. Let me ruin my life. Okay. So yeah, the movie's coming out as of this weekend now. Because I've... And it, mm, focus on this. Anyway. This weekend, uh, the first big release is going to be Dark Phoenix. So let's take a look at that final trailer. Ladies and gentlemen of NASA, this is Charles Xavier. Help is on the way. Why did Cerebro have telephonic communication capabilities? Or is he doing it psychically? That'd be one thing if he could, like, order pizza from Cerebro. Hello, yes, Domino's. I'd like to order a large uh, pepperoni and bacon. Where's Jean? Where is she? Where is she? Oh, hey, it's a character we met, like, five minutes in the last movie. She should be dead. Did you hear what the kids are calling you? Phoenix. Oh, hey, Sophie Turner actually looks interesting in this movie instead of the last time. The better question is, who are you? Hi, Jessica Chastain. Something's happening to me. Interestingly, I can recognize Jessica Chastain more without her uh, red hair more than I could Bryce Dallas Howard, although I think they applied more makeup in Rocket Man. good. Feels good, mate. Destroyed everything it ever came into contact with. Until you. Every hero. And what they fear. 
we seek to destroy. Oh, hey, it's that lady that died in the last trailer. Has a dark side. Not really. Superman doesn't really have a dark side. A girl dies. I mean, he doesn't if you have a good right. Anyway. She's still our friend. She's not Jean anymore. How would you know? We only saw her for like five minutes in the last movie. Are you threatening me? That's right. Dark Phoenix. So here's the thing. Hollywood has continued to screw up the Dark Phoenix storyline every time they've tried to adapt it. It sucked when, when um, not Brian Singer, um, what's his name? Brad something or another. Uh, whoever took over for X-Men 3, it sucked in that one. And it looks like it's going to suck here just because they are rushing it. The Dark Phoenix storyline should be built up through like three movies and then culminate in the Dark Phoenix storyline rather than being rushed into a single movie, especially when we only met Jean Grey at the tail end of Apocalypse last time. Ugh, God. Much as I hate the corporate uh, buyout of Fox, I do, I, I'm much more concerned, you know, I'm much happier that those properties are back with Kevin Feige. Anyway, but I just knew it, was, it just sucks that it had to go about the way it did. I, I, you know, I didn't want it like that. Not like this. You wanted Fox, Marvel, Disney to have the Fox properties, right? Not like this. Not like this. Anyway. Also coming out this weekend is The Secret Life of Pets 2. Uh, let's take a look at that trailer. God, the minions are still terrible. Not exactly the best pick to replace Louis C.K., but I mean, Pat Oswald is still funny. Oh, hey, turkeys are the devil. rid of the cone. My therapist says I need it. It's a medical device. He's doctor. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a harsh way of uh Hey, are you depressed? Feel better. Yeah, it's What are you doing down there? Don't panic. No matter how small, or how scared, each of us has an inner hero. Yo, I'm gonna be the first bunny with washboard abs. Waiting to be unleashed. This feels kind of like a like a weird mashup of these weird storylines that don't really mix together. Where are you going? 
So, are you scared? No. Are you scared? No. I'm no, not I'm a not. soldier. I'm not. Join me. Don't start a how. Don't howl. If you start a howl, oh, oh, oh. sorry, thinking of a much better movie. Oh uh, yeah, this should be fine. The Secret Life of Pets is definitely the best from Illumination, so we'll see how their follow-up look uh, ends up being. And then the last one for this week. Uh, I'm not sure if it's playing near me, but it's supposed to get a wide release. Amazon's new movie, uh, Late Night, starring Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling. Let's take a look. She was the first female late night talk show host on a major Joan network, Rivers winning 43 Emmy Awards. Oh, no. Ladies and gentlemen, Catherine Newberry. Catherine, do you think women are funny? Funny is funny. As long as you're white male and from an elite college, like your writing staff. We need to hire a woman. Would a gay guy work? No. A chatted bitch. So you have no experience in comedy? It would be funnier. It would be, yo, it would be funny if it weren't so sad. Uh, you're hired. Is it just getting started. Yeah, Molly's just getting started. Are you okay? I'm so happy. I feel sick. I came to tell Catherine. you this year is your last. What? Is hanging on. Who are you? I'm a new writer. The new female writer. Yeah, I can see that, Brad. Think about why the On June 7th. Coming back. Don't push me. And come up with ways to fix it. The headline of my analysis is complacency. I'll tell you what doesn't work. A newcomer coming in and giving me her assessment of my comic persona. I will not be marginalized because no one here looks like me. She's not trying to silence your strong female woman of color spirit. Hashtag me too, blah, blah, blah. You're a new writer with no experience. Write mm. something. Okay. The show hasn't been good Emma Thompson has never Why been better. say something? I thought you knew and didn't care. <laughs> oh, John Lithgow. I, have some I love him. Tom Cruise is the same age as me. He gets to fight the mummy. I am the mummy. <laughs> I need you, Ollie, to help me change this show. No more tantrums and no withering looks. Like that one. That's my face. <laughs> Genuinely funny exactly with something. is wrong with my bits. They're a little old and a little white. What can I do about that? Let me introduce you to a new series, Catherine Newbery, White Savior. I feel like I could never hill a camp. Let's see what we can do about that. I actually didn't need to go anywhere. That doesn't matter. This is how white saviors work. Into the cab. How would you describe Molly? Molly, Molly is, she said that I reminded her of a younger, younger her. me. Great choice. Yeah, great choice with Janelle Monet. Um, I'm really interested. Um, it definitely sounds like it, it's got its finger on the pulse of what people are complaining about with a lot of comedy, especially like late night comedy. And it looks like uh, the way Mindy Kaling's character is going to improve it is to have some more diversity into the bits and whatnot and allowing for more representation, which is what, you know, comedy TV needs. Uh, you know, there, we got enough white, you know, white, com you know, white uh, dudes in suits hosting shows. Arsenio, why wasn't Arsenio given a better chance? You know, where's, um, you know, all these other, uh, like... Hassan Minaj is barely struggling with his Netflix show when he is clearly superior to anything Jimmy Fallon has ever done, you know? But 
it is what it is. So yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see that, and um, we'll see if it ends up in theaters near me. So uh, that about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by favoriting us on your on your web browser and whitelisting us on your ad blocker. And while you and new episodes are hopefully going to try start coming out again on time, but I'll get into that next episode. But um, yeah, and while you're on Gummy Cat Networks, you can also uh, peruse our library of stuff. Uh, check out all of Donna's stuff over at the Snarkcast. Uh, Once more with feeling. Uh, the family business be on the cabin in the woods and if you yourself are a podcaster and would like to join our lovely little family and help it to grow and become better uh you can do you can send all your inquiries to gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com and we'll get back to you uh see if you're a good fit uh if you're listening to us on your mobile devices you can find us on uh all your various uh, uh podcast providers uh the apple play the apple podcast store uh google play Spotify, Spreaker, Stitchers, uh, iHeartRadio. Um, I'm hoping to try and expand further, but not right the set, not not anytime soon. I do want to expand more on Pinecast and establish myself more there. Start to rebuild the library, as it were, and then I'll start worrying about expanding into other places to have podcasts. But um, wherever you can find your podcast, and if you're if I'm not available on your podcast uh, provider of choice. Let me know, and I would love to add my, you know, I'd love to add my show. Uh, and if, if you would be so kind as to leave a five-star rating and review and let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well, that would be great. You can also share us on your various social media. The social media home for Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. You can, um, you can uh, like us on Facebook, follow me on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod, where I do the munchalongs and the trailer talks. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm not very active there, but I'm Popcorn Junkie Podcast. You can follow me on letterboxd.com uh, at Corn Junk at Popcorn. I believe, what was I again? Corn Junkie Pod. I have to do that there as well because somebody also grabbed Popcorn Junkie. Uh, so Corn Junkie Pod on Letterboxd to, to, find, to follow my written reviews and check out some of my favorites lists and whatnot. I don't, um, I don't, numerically list the um end of the year lists until the end of the year so if you look at my favorite least favorite and blandest for 2019 they're not in any order yet uh i'm gonna put them in order uh in december leading up to the end of the year but for right now they it just these are those are just on the list as they you know as they come and then um i'm gonna have a continually updating favorite movies of all time list uh going pretty soon and you can also follow me on uh i completely forgot what it's called stardust <laughs> uh after i stopped with the godzilla marathon i completely forgot uh but yeah stardust you can follow me there at popcorn junkie there i you, there you'll see the uh video sort of reactions uh to what i've just seen there's going to be a um lead up to the new shaft movie next week so stay tuned on stardust for that coming this week um also follow that ha uh, on Stardust. Look for the hashtag. Uh, oh God, what was it? I just, uh, oh, what was it? I had a, such an amazing term for it. Um, ah, God. Ah, I'll, it'll come to me. I'll, I'll remember it. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to watch all the Shaft movies leading up to the new, uh, 
movie uh for next uh weekend so yeah uh and of course if there's anything you want to say to me any kind of feedback you want to give any kind of um critiques uh you know differences of opinion shared opinions your thoughts on the movies i watched your thoughts on godzilla in general your own lists the favorite and least favorite of the godzilla franchise uh, send all that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want me to read it out in the episode, make sure to say so in either the subject line or in the message. Otherwise, I'll simply paraphrase. And then, um, yeah, that does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and all hail to the king of the monsters. song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look at Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Uh, yeah, that, those were my thoughts on Godzilla. So we're going to take a... Uh, I'm tired. It's it's almost 1 o'clock in the morning now. And my life is a travesty. Much like the 1998 Godzilla movie. <laughs>